Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast, putting the sin into cinema every Monday for your listening pleasure. Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. I'm, I I want to let our listeners know that I'm kind of doing a little bit of a health thing, so I'm sitting on a yoga ball for okay. tonight's episode, and I'm... I thought, you so know, I thought it, you were just excited, and you were doing like a little bit of a shimmy, because I can only see you from like the chest up. That's right. We have like a webcam thing going on, and, and uh, so we can see each other, and so he's he's watching me sort of shimmy back and forth and kind of get my groove on, but, mm-hmm. but there's no I music playing. Met- uh, and it's just, it's really what it is, is me not uh, trying not to fall on the floor because I've, I've got this technique where I sit on the ball and I put my feet together and it makes it really difficult, but I guess it's, it's a great core exercise. Cause we here on the grindhouse podcast, we want you to watch movies, want to entertain you, but we also want you to be nice and healthy, uh, for, so that you can right. stay up late and watch as many movies as you need to, and still go to work the next day. And also recycle. Recycle. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, yes. That's right. Save, save to your... While we're at it, save, save the earth too. Yeah, watch watch movies, stay in shape, and save the earth. <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks since it's just been you and I on the podcast, and uh, I feel like this is a good opportunity for us to do a little bit of catching up. Hey, how you been? I'm good. I'm good. I have had... Well, by the time this podcast comes out on Monday, it will be my second to last day of filming on the series that I've been on. So it's almost over. We're at the end. Uh, Abby Singer, for those who know film terminology. Did you say Singer? Yeah. So uh, in film, like uh, the the second to last shot of the day uh, is called the Abby Singer or the Abby. And then and then the final shot of the day is the martini. And everyone's going to go get martinis afterward. So we're on the Abby in terms of shooting days. We got, one, we got two days left. And do you actually go drink martinis afterwards? I hope so. Because I could certainly use one wow. it's been a it's it's been a great show no it really has it's been a great show i've had a i've had a, a blast in a lot of ways but they're tough i mean they're they're tough to do and um as anyone who works on it can attest there are challenges just left and right and so um i think that every i think i could speak for the entire crew and the cast in saying that we've all earned a proper martini uh, you know what? I I like those Mexican martinis. You ever go to the uh, the restaurants and get those? Those are great. They, uh, so the ones they, they make it with the tequila? Yeah, that's right. And they bring you the little tin thing, and you get to pour out a few drinks, and it's just a lot of fun. And um, I don't know if that's well, a if that it applies to uh, the film industry, but uh, uh, I don't see why not. I think it's Southern California Mexican martinis should be a thing uh, in film. I feel like that's appropriate. You know, maybe. Maybe uh, Mr. Danny Trejo can have his Trejo's Cantina provide the the set a few Mexican martinis. I feel like that'd be giving back to the community. Well, see, we we have a problem here in Austin where um, you'll hear about a new uh, Mexican restaurant and how great it is, and you'll go there to oh yeah Mexican food, I love Mexican food, and you go there, it's Tex-Mex every time, and you know which I'm okay with Tex-Mex, but when I am expecting actual Mexican food. And I show up and it's everything's just drenched in nacho cheese. 
uh, and, and it's just all about the mar- frozen margaritas, and it's just a Tex-Mex restaurant, right. you know. And, and it's well, well, I it's think a roll of the dice. Very... You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, well, be grateful that even Texas Tex-Mex is better than ninety percent of the what they what, what passes for Mexican food in California. Oh no! So usually our show isn't so much about uh, cuisine, and it's more about cinema. And I think you've had some things this week. Uh, it happened. Uh, you've seen some some movies. You've attended some uh, some festivals or something. What? That's right. That's right. So as we're approaching the final week of shooting, I, I've found myself venturing out of my my place here and and being somewhat social, which is a rarity for me. So on Sunday, I uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with the the app, the horror app, Shutter? I am a member of Shutter. That's right. I have it through uh, VRV. So so I'm a big fan of Shutter. Uh, in fact, a, a really good friend, a former roommate of mine, I used to work at Shutter. So I love those guys. I've really seen them grow from being like the little app that could to to being sort of the central focus of horror nowadays. It's, yeah. like, it's like the hub. Ah, they have everything. So, yeah, so me and some filmmaking partners on, on a different project that I'm putting together that I might talk about at a future date, we uh, we decided to go see the screening of uh, a Shutter exclusive, Nightmare Cinema, which was super cool. It looks amazing, but what what is it? I don't quite understand it. Is it uh, an anthology kind of thing? Uh, it is, it's... yeah. So what, one of my favorite formats of film, and in fact, I was very lucky to work on VHS Viral, which had that same sort of anthology oh, format. I love it. Enough. I'm a big fan. And, um, yeah, so it's different filmmakers. Uh, the, probably the most notable one would be, uh, Joe Dante who did Gremlins. Nice. Um, and they submit their short and there's sort of a, a, a loose wraparound narrative that connects them. The basic setup is that these different people are walking past this lonesome theater and on the marquee is a film that is starring them and they're somehow enticed in. Uh, for reasons unbeknownst to themselves, and they they sit and they watch what is a short film for us that they're in, um, and then and then it's kind of like is the theater hell? Is it purgatory? Who is the projectionist? Is he does he sort of personify um, Charon from the Greek and Roman mythology, uh, the ferryman who would who would ferry souls across from uh, the the land of the living into the land of the dead? Leaves it somewhat ambiguous, but, uh, you know, the great thing about horror anthologies always is that typically they're made by different filmmakers. And when you, the, the most common question when you walk out of the theater is always, which one was your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a natural competition that exists between them. So the very first segment, uh, jumps straight into it. It's got a, it's got a very sort of eighties slasher in the woods vibe to it with a, with a very unique, um, truly did not see coming sort of twist at the end. And then it goes into more cerebral territory. You have uh, the next story as a young girl. It's a young couple, actually. And they are in love and they're having dinner with each other. And, you know, the, the lady's got a, a slight scarring on her face. I think it's from a, a car accident when she was a kid or something. And initially the boyfriend's like, no, I love you how you are. You're wonderful. But if you want to get plastic surgery, here's my mom's surgeon's card. And so she sort of uh, reluctantly decides to do it. It has a very uh, sort of modern day Twilight Zone vibe to it. Like it, it's the kind of short that might feel really at home, um, say, like Black Mirror. Yeah, I think I think that is brilliant. I think there's a... a such a good uh, territory there for horror films and plastic surgery because well 
I you mean, like this one then? Well, uh, plastic surgery is some of the most brutal, uh, savage surgeries. You know the, the, what they do to these poor people where they they've they're cutting open their faces peeling them off you know it's it's stuff you only see in horror films but it's run of the mill every day for these surgeons and uh that's a territory that i think needs to be uh explored a lot more in a horror context because it really is a horrific thing well and we've often said the best horror represents the anxieties of society and when when in in the social media age where people are competing physically if not in other ways to to match what they, which an appearance that they see online that is probably fabricated through Photoshop and filters and things of that, you know, perfect lighting and angles and what have you. I thought it was really appropriate for them to sort of tackle that from a horror angle. And, and by the way, that was the one that was directed by, by Joe Dante of Gremlins fame. Oh, nice. Yeah. We've, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, we talk a lot about how I'm a, I'm a professional sculptor and I work in a bronze casting industry and I've got this client that does, uh, sculptures of, uh, for doctors, basically they're, they're sculptures of surgeries and stuff. And the plastic yeah, right. surgery line is just downright alarming because it's like, oh. it's uh, attempts to try to normalize what's going to happen to these people. So it's, uh, it's sure. literally just like life-size busts of women with surgeons hands, peeling their old faces off with younger, healthier faces underneath, you know, that's macabre. And it, it is. And it's like, uh, the, the, the idea is the clients so the surgery clients would look at these and think, Oh, that's so lovely. But the reality is you're going to be in bandages for like six weeks. You know, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be this yeah. bloody swollen thing for like six to seven weeks. And then, uh, Eventually, you might look a, a little nicer. Kids are probably still going to point and stare, but um, well, I, somehow you know, standards I, of beauty will apply to you. I, I don't know how that all supposed to work. So, um, you know, and I won't go into all the rest of the shorts, but I, I think it's it was very very fun. Shudder to me is just doing such a great job of cultivating like the best examples of horror, oh, yeah. and this one was no no exception. So hopefully, I think I don't think it's on their app yet, but I would assume soon soonish. Uh, no, it's not there yet because I, I looked for it this weekend when you were telling me about it, but it is coming. Um, I saw another anthology over the week. Okay. You might have heard about it. It was directed by a very famous musician, someone who has had a lot of influence in the world of um, horror and punk. And yes. You would think you would think that those skills um, would naturally translate into film film work. Filmology, cinema. Well, I suppose uh, Rob Zombie had a good success with all of that, yeah. Right, Rob Zombie. He did. Rob Zombie, I think that we both like Rob Zombie's work. Uh, Nick Cave has uh, ventured into into filmmaking as well, with mostly with writing, I believe. Oh, uh, some, really? Well, yeah, a- yeah. Anything the out. listeners might have heard of? Well, uh, I, I, would, I would say the most famous example is Lawless with uh, Tom Hardy. He wrote that movie. Oh, nice! Yeah, it's great. So, um, and he's done documentaries, and he's a, he's of course acted and 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 uh, contribute uh, you know compositions, musical compositions to film as well. But but Lawless is the most famous in terms of him as a screenwriter. Um, but this is neither of those gentlemen. No, this is this is horror punk icon, metal icon, uh, mother. Tell your children not to walk my way, <laughs> Mr. Glenn Danzig, and his film, Veronica. Based on the uh, comic book of the same name, is it my correct? There, he's been writing That's a comic correct. book, and okay, yeah, Glenn Glenn Danzig has owned a comic book line called Verotic for many many years now. 
and um, somebody thought it would be a good idea to fund a anthology film based on some of the stories from his comic. Well, I imagine that somebody must have been Glenn Danzig. Uh, no, no, I actually think he had <laughs> uh, Cleopatra film, uh, Cleopatra Productions. I think they're called. Uh, is who who put up the money for it? Um, have you have you heard anything about Veronica, Matt? I've uh, I, I okay. I haven't seen it. I have seen uh, articles with headlines such as "This is the Room of Horror Films," you know, things like that. Like uh, Tommy Wiseau's "The Room." I, I think we talked about that last week on the show. Um, well, I um, yeah. yeah. So so we talked a little bit last week as well about like riff tracks. Yeah, and uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. That would be the perfect distribution platform for this film. Oh no! It is. Um, well, let me put it this way. I have never seen a film that is equal parts pure, unadulterated, unfiltered passion, equally matched by a total and complete incompetence in any level of filmmaking. So, is Glenn in it? No, Glenn's not. He just directs it, directed and wrote everything. Okay. Um, uh, it, and, and by the way, this is not Glenn Danzig's first foray in the film. He did play Samuel from in a, in a brief role in The Prophecy 2. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, you remember back and, in the day before uh, any, any of the X-Men movies were ever made, there was a bunch of like call for uh, let Glenn Danzig be Wolverine? I, I think he I, – I heard – now, maybe this was just a rumor. I actually heard that he auditioned for the part. Really? Uh, I mean, he's got the uh, the type, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, Hugh Jackman probably superior in many ways. So, based on Glenn's previous uh, it, you know, contributions to film, I he should have been on the camera, perhaps. But no, he he wrote and directed. Um, it is composed of three shorts with a loose wraparound. The first uh, short really sets the tone for what you're about to experience. Um, it is set in Paris, and you know it's in Paris because uh, in the Q and A after the film, Glenn Danzig reminds us that it was set in Paris, so all the actors had to talk in like French French accents, <laughs> and uh, and then he gave he gave a shout out to his uh, his dialect coach that helped the actors. Uh, let me tell you something: Have you ever seen a Pepe Le Pew cartoon? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, the uh, the skunk from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Skunk, yeah. Uh, that would be the level of French accents uh, employed on, on this short. Uh, dear God, and are you saying that uh, between each um, vignette, uh, Glenn Danzig himself comes on the screen and talks about what you've just seen? No, no, no. I wish that he did. No, he did a Q and A after the screening. Uh, between each segment is Caden Cross, who some of you might know uh, from her pornographic work okay. on screen and stage. So uh, she plays Morella, who is <clears throat> this series, uh, you know, Vampira or Elvira or any of those sort of, or, you know, Crypt Keeper. She introduces each segment. But Glenn had the opportunity to talk at the end of the film, and so he let us know that we knew it was in, set in Paris because of the French accents. Um, the story involves a woman, a, Fr- a French woman, with eyeballs for nipples. Oh. Who, oh yes, she has eyeballs for nipples, which garnered the first howl of the evening. That's, um, that, that's like, it's like scary, but it's not like good well, scary. It's like, uh, let, me, 
yeah, it's, it's me, like me, like something like that is more like scary that someone thought of it. You know, it's like when, you know when what? it hits I, you and someone wrote this and thought it was a good idea, you get a little you get a little chill, you know? Yeah, see yeah, see the thing is is that the concepts and their weirdness is not the failings of the film. Uh, it's really the execution. So this woman with abnormally large breasts that are clearly prosthetics and prosthetic eyeballs for nipples, where nipples would normally be, <laughs> okay. she is um she is making out with a, a young man and he keeps reaching for the breast and she keeps saying no. And then he, he eventually pulls her shirt up to, to cast his eyes upon her eyes. And um, he leaves because he's freaked out and she sheds a tear. And one of her tears somehow manages to fall from her face onto a small albino spider with CGI technology that has not been seen the likes of since about 1986. Oh, wow. And uh, he turns into albino Spider-Man uh, with an equally cartoonish French accent. The, the spider grows into a full-grown man that has Spider-Man powers? Oh, yes, he does. He is a spider. And he oh, only comes out when she God. is sleeping. And so do you remember? Why does remember the, the woman Marvel? have uh, eyeballs on her breasts? Is that a, well, a, a mm-hmm. mutation? Is, is it a mutant thing or a demon thing? Funny that you should mention that. In fact, Glenn, I don't, and I, I wish I could have, I, I clocked this, and I wish that I could uh, recant it for you. But Glenn let us know that in fact he would have shown the origin story of the eyeball nipples, um, if he had had the budget. But he did not have the budget, and therefore he could not shoot it. <laughs> oh wow! Just, just. Uh, so you'll have wow. to read the comics to find out why she had eyeballs for nipples. You know, um, that's okay. There's a precedent for that. Uh, if you liked the um, the film, uh, what was that movie? Oh, good God! It had The Rock in it. Fast and Furious. No, uh, it was Scorpion uh, King. Also, Justin Timberlake. Oh, Jesus! Oh, uh, uh, Southland uh, Tales. What? Southland, Southland Southland Tales. That was actually yeah, the, that was a film. If you saw Southland Tales and you thought it was like really confusing. Well, that's because you were supposed to read like six issues of a comic book before you watched that movie. Right. By the director of Donnie Darko, which that, made our list a uh, few episodes back. Yeah. Um, but see, that film was a confusing mess. But this film, but it felt like a film at least, right? Like you, you looked at it and you say, okay, there's like a cinematic experience behind oh, it. I rather filmmaking. enjoyed it. Yes. Okay. So uh, this had none of that. This looked like a high school play shot on um, a camcorder uh-huh. with bad French accents, pretty decent makeup effects, all things considered. Uh, the albino Spider-Man had, you know, six. He had two additional arms, along with the two arms that he has and his legs. Um, now, do you remember the old Marvel comic book, Sleepwalker? Oh, oh, that rings a bell. Sleepwalker. What was going on in Sleepwalker? That sounds in familiar. Sleepwalker. An alien merges with a human and is only released when the human is asleep. Okay, no. <laughs> Same premise. So the albino Spider-Man can only be released when she's sleeping. Even though the spider was in her reality world when her tear fell on him. The tear from her and breast? Uh, yes, actually, yes. It is a tear from her breast, her eyeball nipple. What the hell? And uh, so he goes around okay, murdering okay, no, people. This, and- is, this is okay because this is all justifiable because the whole time... There's this amazing, like, Misfits, Danzig, uh, Sam Hain soundtrack, right? No. Uh, there is a soundtrack. Pretty, pretty 
uh, forgettable, all things considered, pretty understated. Yeah, no, it's it's um, you know, it's it's mostly marred by the com- by the comically bad acting to the point where you know some of the actors in the Q and A afterward were up there. The guy who plays the albino spider and um, <laughs> uh, I think the character's name is Claudette with the eyeball nipples. And they're so proud, they're so proud of their work, and it and it feels like they couldn't afford. I mean, I don't know what the budget of this film was, but it feels like they couldn't afford any actors at all. Uh-huh. And so they just sort of did like a Craigslist for, for free actors. And this is kind of what turned up. Um, I, either that or these are brilliant actors and they just, they could see what they were getting themselves into and they decided to like make it memorable and kind of go into business for themselves and just ham it up to the ninth degree because they could see what a train record was going to be. Well, you know, we mentioned The Room and uh, a lot of the cast uh, from The Room were not actually that bad at what they do. Uh, they have other other jobs. I mean, they're mostly, you know, small budget movies that they've been in, but they're not bad actors. It's just that Tommy Wiseau was such an interfering force, you know, it that, could have uh, been they, that they I... really couldn't express themselves properly. It very well, it very well may be that. I have... Um... I, had, I do know a couple people who worked on that film who did say that Glenn is, um, he's got a very particular vision. I'm sure he does. And, um, he, he would, he would make that vision a reality regardless of, uh, what difficulties may lay in front of him or whatever anyone else might have said. And, and you, you I will give the film this credit. It is Glenn's vision full on. Uh, in in the Q and A, um, he informed us that this was not a Hollywood film. That 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 this film, you know, unlike a lot of films that Hollywood films, yeah, that um, you know, they do all the color and post and what have you. That he his background is in photography, and that this film used f stops and okay. lighting, yeah, to create the look. Well, that, that's that been done in the past, and that has been successful. No, uh, for... Matt, I don't think you understand. Unlike Hollywood films, Glenn uses F-stops. <laughs> okay. I see where you come from. Uh, right, so... It reminds me of an American movie where uh, Borchardt's like, we used every F-stop known to man on this next movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really did look like they shot, like they, someone had some stage space that they used. Um and the bare minimum of, of you know, like, you know, like old, like black and white films and you can tell they're on a set, but it's kind of fine because it's of the time and, yeah. you know, it doesn't. Okay. So it looks like that, but not like that. It looks, let, let me put it this way. Do you remember when we made Count Three and Die? Uh, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. That was a far long, more long cinematic, far more, far more cinematic uh, skill in that short film than in, than in uh, The Albino Spider. Yeah, I know. I find that hard to believe, but um, oh, I I, but... I cannot wait for you to see this. So <laughs> I won't spoil the end. I'll leave it for you guys to watch. Thank you. But uh, but the albino spider comes out when she's sleeping and kills people, and then it resolves, and you'll see, you'll see. Here's one thing before I go into the next segment. Every every famous director has his own signature thing that you know that you you could watch a film, and even if you didn't know. That it was him, you would get to that scene or and or that part, and you would know that's a let's say for example Alfred Hitchcock would always put himself in his films, right? Or 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 would cast a blonde as his lead, right? The Hitchcock blonde. Um, Quentin Tarantino might include a shot of a woman's bare feet, or 
the camera from inside of the trunk or box or something, like looking up at, at characters. Oh, yeah. So on and so forth. Um, Glenn Danzig's signature directorial addition is um, he doesn't know when to cut. Huh. So there is a scene in the next short in which a stripper is going around and stealing faces of other women. Again, credit to the makeup effects, which are really truthfully the best part of these of these short films. Um, several instances where the skin is peeled off and to reveal like a just sort of like the under under dermis of a person muscles bloody muscles showing what have you. Uh-huh. There's a scene where she's sitting in front of the mirror. This mystery. She's called Mystery Girl on stage. That's her stripper name. We never okay. find out her real name because that's a mystery. <laughs> he looks now matt you actually have a background in photography yeah i do a bit of product photography it's not the most glamorous thing but um so so yes. you would know you would know probably the difference between say a digital zoom and uh and, and practically zooming. i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and to our listeners digital zoom is that uh shitty noisy zoom that's um, basically where you just enlarge pixels and, uh, actual zoom is where a lens takes in more light by, uh, by zooming like a telescope would. Yeah, correct. Okay. So, uh, it appears that they use a digital zoom in a scene in which mystery girl is in front of a vanity mirror, um, admiring her newly, she wears, she wears the faces of the, of the women and she's admiring her, her newest face and the, the camera slowly digitally zooms in. And and it's fine, okay. I, I I'm okay with that. And it gets to the end, and you're expecting the cut. But you know what, Matt? Glenn Danzig does not cut. He doesn't cut corners, and he doesn't cut on film. So you know what that camera does when it reaches the end of its zoom? It just keeps on zooming. No, it goes back. It <laughs> zooms right back. <laughs> okay. It's fantastic. <laughs> Same reaction the crowd had. <laughs> So what do you think is going to happen? Is this going to be like a, like, cause I believe the room uh, after it had its uh, like disastrous opening weekend, it became somehow, you know, one thing led to another and it became this like cult following every Friday night. Uh, do you think something like that might happen with uh, Glenn Danzig's 100%. And in fact, I implore our listeners to seek out these midnight screenings when they inevitably occur and watch it, have a drink or two first. Know what you're walking into is is something surreal and bizarre and straight from the mind of Glenn Danzig. But I'll tell you this. If this film had had any more skill in execution, it might have just sucked. Yeah. Okay? Like, okay. I know I'm making a lot of jokes about how shitty the, the – the, and again, I don't know if the crew was shitty or, again, if this was just the vision of, of Danzig. But, but there's failures across the board – and you would think that someone would have done something to make it better, but maybe they couldn't. Glenn's a powerful, very driven guy, so um, it's hard to say where the where the, the quote unquote blame would lie. But you know, we, we talked about Southland Tales, right? Like if this had even the film uh, the film quality of Southland Tales, it would just be a crappy film. Okay, never never worthy of being watched. But it it is so earnest. And it is so – there's so much heart behind it. Like you could just tell that Glenn – I could see the pride that Glenn has in his own film as I watched the film. 
Like you could just you know that he looked at that and and he, he might was, make some jokes about the budget. He's like, he this loved is a it. Fucking, this isn't a fucking Hollywood film. Yeah, this is underground. This is a punk rock. <laughs> film. So so is it is it that is it it's the punks it's punk cinema like if you like it's punk rock cinema. It, it has that okay so but okay now I I see where you're coming from but like. To me, punk is like this DIY thing, you know. It's he, he did it himself, it, clearly. Same, well, yes, but at the same time, punk is like it also has a bit of a. It's good. It's good, you know. Where, where what you're describing, a uh, pair of visual enabled, this visually is... enabled breasts that can cry onto a spider and turn it into a Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, I, magic breast. I I don't know if that sounds good to me. Yeah, so imagine imagine a local punk band that heard that you could start a punk band, punk band without knowing how to play your instruments. But they also had none of the songwriting prowess of say like a, a Johnny Ramone or um or or a Glenn Danzig. Or Glenn Danzig for that matter. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He was great. And um and he's still great. In fact, uh funny funny aside, I actually saw uh, the original Misfits yesterday, and nice. with Glenn Danzig, which was far better than Veronica in a different, in a totally different way. Oh, I'm sure it's far better than that uh, mess that was going on a few years ago with uh, Jerry Only singing and okay, uh, calling me, let... it a family event. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if our listeners know what I'm talking about, but uh, only only the uh, what, he's, he the bass player of the Misfits. Uh, Jerry oh. Only is still the bass player. Yes, yeah, and, and he, he hates his he bass, took by on, the way. He took on the role of singer for a while, but he's also a Christian conservative. And um, he believed that the Misfits had uh, evolved into a family act. Bring your kids, bring the grandma. And yep. um, that went on for years with him under that control. Yes. And so yes. you saw it with, Almost like, I mean... I have like 15 years, I think. Yeah. Oh, Maybe yeah. more. Yeah, horrible. 20? Very long time. He just had the Misfits music held hostage by this Trump-supporting conservative. Uh, I mean, it's Jerry only. We all know him if you know him. But Yeah, yeah of course. Listen, yeah. listen. I, I know I might be running down Veronica a little bit, but I walked away, and I had a great time. I can't say the same thing about Jerry only's Misfits. So in terms of ranking... Uh, projects that involve these principal players, I would still put Jerryoni's Misfits far beneath Veronica. Okay, that, that gives me a bit of uh, a bit of scale. I, I think I understand more about Veronica yes. now. So, uh, how, however, how about, I would well, how about last night Misfits with Dan, Glenn Zandig? That that's what you were getting to. Let's hear about that. Uh, well, let me just let me just before I get to Misfits, I, I want to just do the last segment because, uh, sure. and I won't I won't spend too much time on it. But the last segment is a. A sort of a retelling of the uh, Elizabeth Bathory story, in okay. which uh, con- in which a contessa uh, is uh, bathing in the blood. I don't know. I can't tell you what the plot is exactly because it doesn't seem to be one much, and not to mention much dialogue. It just starts with the countess's uh, f- I don't know uh, assistant, uh, executive assistant, g- purchasing a young girl, and then there's just a series of scenes. Uh, this actually funny that you mentioned like. When you think of a Glenn Danzig film, you you imagine the strippers, and we got that, and you certainly you imagine Danzig music, and we got that. I figure there'd be wolves as well. Were there, uh, there is a wolf. There is a wolf in this short, <laughs> in fact. Um, but there was far less naked breast than you would imagine. In fact, most of the women um, in the Mystery Girl segment 
at her job because there is an extended uh, sequence, several sequences where she's dancing at a strip club. They all have uh, pasties on. And um, um, speaking of some of Danzig's project, London May has a cameo in um, as a strip club patron. Uh, who is London, uh, London, May. London May? Who is London May? Yeah, uh, London May, the drummer of uh, Sam Haynes' November, November Coming Fires album. A fantastic album, yes. Fantastic. So, um, but but if you were worried that there were not enough bare breasts in this Danzig-helmed uh, film, uh, fear not, because the the Elizabeth Bathory segment is chock full of breasts and blood with pasties. and bathing. With pasties. No pasties. Nipples. Uh, oh. No okay. eyeballs. No eyeball nipples. Regular no eyeballs, nipples. no pasties. <laughs> but they are covered in blood. And um, uh, again, blood looks fantastic. Like makeup effects. You know, like it's got a real throwback to 80s makeup effects, which I loved. But um, man, I don't. I couldn't tell you what actually occurs. It's just, just a series of the Countess killing women and bathing. But there is one – there's a wolf. There's a sequence where she goes to the woods and she meets up with a wolf. And it's a real wolf and she pets the wolf and she talks to the wolf and she feeds the wolf some meat. And that's about it. Uh, but there is a sequence and it's it might be my favorite of the entire yeah, film. I, I just want to say something. This is a Danzig film. Uh, you, you keep saying wolf. And I believe in this context it's pronounced wah-ho-wah-ho-wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yes there is a wahoof <laughs> that comes to visit the contessa and this wahoof eats meat out of her palm glenn informed us after the fact that this wolf was a real wolf and that the wolf was actually trying to break his chains and digging to uh what appeared to be bite the actress who was playing the contessa but as a trooper she stuck it out and Played out her scene uh, without any any semblance of fear to the uh, audience's eyes. Oh man, I'm sure Glenn probably used some, you know, mind control wolf language to make the wolf like enact his own desires upon the actresses on the stage. And uh, he, you know, he uh, is in fact a wolf daddy. <laughs> What's a wolf daddy? He, he is a he's a daddy that a wolf calls daddy. He is the dominant of the wolf clan. He, oh, he, I see, he, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he's an alpha wolf, him. yes. He's an alpha wolf. He's a wolf yes. daddy. Wolf man. Uh, wolf daddy. So <laughs> there's, there's a, so I, I mentioned to you that Glenn doesn't like to cut. Right. And Glenn doesn't do that. Not when normal directors would. He likes to really let a scene breathe. So one of the many times that the Contessa is bathing in blood, she's... um. In front of a fold-out mirror, you know, the sort of tri-mirror, quad-mirror, you know. And the camera's on her, and she's facing it, bare breast, rubbing blood on her face. And it just keeps going, and then it keeps going, and it keeps going. And the actress, you could tell, ran out of things to do. So <laughs> she's sort of, you know, rubbing blood on herself, and she's so happy. She's just... El, you know, elated with the with how youthful her skin looks, and she and she leans in to get a real close mugging of her her new beautiful skinned face. Right, there's no change, by the way, but in her mind, in yeah. her mind, she's a mad. And then she 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 as one would naturally do, she leans in, she gets her look, her close up look, and and she leans back and she keeps rubbing, and and then the camera keeps rolling, keeps on rolling. So naturally, she leans in again, and. 
takes a good look and she's got the, the biggest shit eating grin on her face and then she leans back out and she keeps rubbing and then she leans in again now at about the second or third time that she leaned in the audience is waiting for it and they're and they're in disbelief that this scene is still going on yeah. and and it got the biggest laughter of the evening <laughs> i counted about nine and every time people howled that much harder so it was fantastic. What was Glenn doing? I mean, if, uh, so this is like a premiere or something you were at, and that's correct. Yes, with him there and uh, finding out in person that this thing is like an accidental comedy that he didn't intend to make. Uh, how did he handle this? Was he okay? You know what? Well, uh, this was his second screening, uh, so I can't speak to what how he reacted in Chicago. Other than I heard that he said the quote. Uh, yeah, you guys uh, laughed at some parts I wouldn't have, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, at this, at this Q&A, he actually didn't elicit any uh, questions from the actual audience. They were, they were predetermined questions from the producer who, who fed them to, to the cast and crew. Yeah, good for uh, him. You know, I, I'll give credit, man. I, he took it in stride. I mean, he really seemed like he was totally fine. Like, I think he feels like he made it his way. And uh, the audience enjoyed themselves, and they're his people. And and maybe, maybe I'm sure in his mind, maybe if he had the budget, and, and frankly, maybe if he had the budget, it might have been scarier. Because I'm cool with weird. We've talked about this lots of times. We're cool with like weird, bizarre. Totally, like yeah, absolutely. Our first episode was Mandy. That's weird, man. Yeah. And by the way, I'm gonna make a public a public plea right now. Nicholas Cage, we know you listen to this show. Please, please work with Glenn Danzig. And he has an opportunity because Glenn at the Q&A announced his upcoming second directorial film, okay. which will be a, which will be a, a, a spaghetti western uh, starring vampires. Now that sounds like something I would like. And he let us know, spoilers, everyone is a vampire in this film. So you don't have to worry about guess about who might be a vampire. He's telling us everyone is a fucking vampire in this film. Now, I'll Glenn, tell you, man. There's a bit of an issue there because vampires need to feed. And vampires can't feed on the blood of other vampires. See, Matt, here's the problem, though. The problem is that your expectations have been diluted by the Hollywood system. And Glenn Danzig does not make a Hollywood film. Glenn Danzig uses F-stops. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I guess, I guess the vampires will, will do just fine with, uh, gorgeous cinematography. Uh, they, they won't need blood because they've got art. They, they art, punk rock art, punk yeah. rock cinema. That's what Glenn does. So, so on the heels of seeing Veronica, and again, I can't stress enough. I had a, I had a, I had a glorious time. It was wonderful. Please, by all means, see it with uh, a group of fans because in the right company, it's a fantastic midnight screening. It's great. Um, and then I saw uh, yesterday, I saw Glenn's uh, the project he's probably most well known for and certainly far more skilled at, which is the original misfits. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. How, so uh, this is fine. I, I know it's been going on for a few years now, but the fact that, this guy that asked in interviews about this band or he would have some violent outburst 
Uh, I mean, and, and, and then the other guy that was like, oh, you know, Glenn needs to repent and ask Jesus for forgiveness. I mean, how are they together again? How does this work? The, legal, the U.S. legal system. Uh, pardon me? Uh, the, the U.S. legal system. So uh, as reported by, I believe, well, s- several metal sites, um, Glenn Danzig, for those of you who might not know, and Jerry Only, the co-founders of the Misfits, have been in a legal battle since about... 97 96 over the rights of the name and the the famous crimson ghosts slash fiend logo uh and mascot uh part of their settlement deal was that the the original misfits uh that being glenn danzig and jerry only would do no less than 10 reunion dates and that they would be the only two uh participants and anyone else including jerry only's brother doyle wolfgang uh von frankenstein who was um not the original guitarist, but some, certainly the most yeah, famous there, guitarist. There's and, a guy and, and, and that a, there's a guy that sits on a yoga ball. He is a, that is he, very and fit. He's a vegan. And yes, and very vegan as well. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, e- even even Doyle uh, is a just a hired gun on these misfit reunion shows. He doesn't get a. I don't know what his pay is, but he's not he's not a participant in terms of like uh, what? profits. And that such. is horrible. That that is upsetting. That's true. Doyle is the is cool. I like Doyle. Well, Doyle might be the only reason I go to these shows. I mean, I I want to. I, I listen, Jerry. I could take your leave to be honest Jerry's, with you. Um, if, if, I if don't. Yeah, I'm a full good. set with yeah, a full set with Glenn Danzig and Doyle, and I'm in. Uh, but but by the way, I will say this about about Jerry only. The dude, I mean, he's got to be pushing sixty now. He puts on a hell of a show. He comes out. I've seen the Misfits, original Misfits twice now. He comes out and he slides from one end of the stage to the other side of the stage on his knees. Power slide. I respect that. That's not Power bad. slide. Wow. Yeah. That takes some. Yeah. That takes and let me skill. tell you something. That man, that man destroyed no less than four bases. <laughs> wow. Okay. He tosses them high up in the air. Uh, they land. And then uh, he stomps them. And then he throws him to the back, and he goes and gets another base. At one point, Glenn said, "That's right, Gary, Let's destroy that guitar, smash it like someone owes you money." He called him Gary. Uh, well, I couldn't <laughs> tell because because his voice is a little bit raspy these days. It sounded like Gary to me, uh, but the, but the thing that stuck out the most was the money line. I thought that was funny. It was a nice, playful uh, jab at at Jerry well, only. The money line. What? Oh, about destroying the bases. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's like just destroy it like someone owes like, like it owes, owes you money. money. Uh, yeah. So, um, so what do you think of uh, you know, he's an asshole, and he's um, who's an asshole? He he. Well, this guy I'm about to mention, he's oh, okay. and he's you know he, he his the albums he put out with those fellows you're talking about are not the f- most favorite albums among fans, but. Graves is still out there. Michael Graves. He's still around. Oh yes, Michael Graves, yes. He's um, I believe he's a Trump supporting conservative, very vocal about it. But I got to tell you, I did see him perform a, a couple of years back and now I I understand that the early Misfits albums are just the the pinnacle. But those Graves albums are they're good songs, man. And, yeah. uh, and, 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 and when you go see Graves, you can, you can hear those songs and, uh, he, man, the guy's talented. I don't know. Well, here's that, you know, I, I think this sort of all dovetails into 
a discussion that you and I were both involved with uh, today, I believe. The it was. Morrissey yeah, thing we, on we Facebook had a, you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a, a friend of ours, yeah. George. Shout out to George. He, he, he basically put a post. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Morrissey's a dick. And as he, he, I think everybody knows that. Like, I I don't think you even have to explain this situation for people to know that. But yes, well, it might be. It 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 appears to me that it might be surprising to some people that a wealthy old white guy has become (laughs) very conservative in his old age. I know that's a shocker. Yeah, extreme, more extreme conservative though. This is not very conservative. This is extreme right wing. This is this is like racist. You know what though? But well, but see, is the thing. I don't know how much Morrissey actually knows what he's talking about. Probably not a lot. He's probably very probably not a lot. I don't know. I don't know if if Morrissey is all that racist so much as that he's just kind of dumb as fuck. (laughs) So he's not racist. He just says racist things he just says stupid racist <laughs> things that in his own mind he doesn't think are racist <laughs> and i don't know how much you can really blame someone for that yeah morsey infamously recently said that of course all races prefer their own race but uh, and some people took that to be racist and i understand why as a person of color i, I can certainly understand well, that because However, it, because it is racist well but you've got to understand context when Morrissey said that, what he actually meant was that Morrissey only prefers Morrissey. <laughs> and when you look at it from that perspective, you kind of understand it. I he didn't mean everyone. Yeah, okay. He didn't, he, he, Morrissey doesn't understand that there are that Morrissey doesn't understand. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. <laughs> that period, yes, perfect. But yeah. but it, it brought up it, it brings up the question, right? When when fantastic artists are revealed to be real scummy human beings, D bags, or ig or 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 ignorant human beings yeah. at the very best, can you separate the art from the person? Yeah, you know, it's tough. Uh, you can. Uh, in, in the context of Graves, that's very easy because uh, Graves is not this big personality. He's just this guy that's, you know, the kid can sing, and uh, so I, I go to see him to hear some misfits songs that I don't hear when the, uh, the actual misfits play and it's, and he's good, but Morrissey, however, um, his personality for so long has been tied to the music. I mean, Morrissey is, is different. He's not a, uh, just a singer. He's a, he's a dynamic personality. Even when he was with the Smiths, you know, uh, and the Smiths have, you know, there, there's a few players in the Smiths that are, are are worth noting, but but Morrissey really stands out. There's something about that that personality of his that just grabs you and takes you in, and I, and I do think it's part of the music. So when you find out that suddenly, you know, this guy that um, wrote all these rad songs with you know interesting, compelling lyrics is uh, a bit of a dick. Um, it, it does color it. I think it does. I think it colors it. So you were surprised that a lifelong manic depressant egomaniac was a dick? Well, in that way, yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine he'd be the kind of dick that just sort of like doesn't go to your birthday party and, uh, you know, says he's going to your wedding and then just doesn't show up, you know, and you had to spend all that money to cover him. But I didn't think he was the, like you know, nationalist, racist kind of dick. I never got that. Well, from I him. think, I think Morrissey actually wants British people to leave 
Britain as well, though. I think his ultimate goal just hit him alone in Britain. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so he'll just, that makes, I mean, that makes really good sense, you know? So he's just kind of going like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, anybody that's not a British should leave Britain. And then next year he'll just be going like anybody that's got, uh, you know, short hair, uh, that, that isn't a pompadour yeah. should leave Britain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just keep doubling down Yeah, until, until he's this the only really one just... left. And he's just like, Oh, this is nice. I like this. And then, and then, just imagine the Morrissey album that you get when he is the only one left in Britain. It's yeah. going to be sublime. Oh, no, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. What you're saying makes sense. I mean, most artists in history are terrible people. Uh-huh. well, you know, uh, I'm not so sure about that now. Just a lot of people. A lot of people. There are a lot of artists who are terrible the, the, people, the, the, but the I, four, I think you have your like the aforementioned David Bowie's John, and uh, you know Bowie, uh, Bowie did some shit in the seventies though. What? Let's not forget that Bowie threw a Sig Hale uh, during his white thin white Duke era, and he flirted with fascism quite a bit before he uh, went to rehab and got a tan in the eighties. Okay, I was not aware of that. Uh, well, yep. is there anything? Um, okay, here we go. Uh, uh, Johnny Ramone, staunch conservative. Okay, fine, smart uh, guy. John, John, right, John Lydon, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten. Yeah, I know where you're going with this, but what about Joey? Joseph Joey Ramone. What about well, that guy? He's a good guy, man. Uh, he just kind of made a lot of rock songs, got cancer, and died. But he was well, a good guy. I think, I think that Neil Young was onto something when he said, "It's better to burn out than to fade away." <laughs> All right, I'm just saying there are, there are some good ones. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, yes, I feel of like course, Rico of Kasich course. of the Cars have never really has never really done anything that's upset anybody. Uh, and I mean, but know, even the Cars have a lot of good know, songs. Cir- I, sure, I don't know. but even circling back to Glenn Danzig, he's deep, deep into that like. Alex Jones, conspiracy theory, like Illuminati stuff, man. A lot of the really like fundamental punk rock leaders. Yeah. Glenn Danzig, you know, Johnny Ramone, Johnny, Johnny uh, Rotten. Johnny Ramone, Johnny Rotten, absolutely. Johnny, All those what guys the hell happened to Johnny concerned. Rotten? He's he's fucking baddie, man. He's out of his mind. He's he well, he's out of his mind. That's what happened to him. He's he's batshit crazy. But he wasn't like he never really struck me as like a drug guy or like an alcoholic. Like he 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 just. I mean, he sort must of have been got that way. I mean, what happened to that guy? Age, man. Age and money happens to those guys. You know, they got famous and they got wealthy and they got all the spoils and now they were part of the uh, elitist class. And it's maybe over time they sort of forgot their literally punk rock origins. But it doesn't even have to be a successful one like you're describing. Um, last weekend, I went to a uh, punk show down the road. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember a uh, punk band. Like, kind of, They had that kind of three-chord sort of Ramones-ish California style. Uh, I know the Ramones aren't from California, but they have... The Weasels. It's a style... Like, kind of like Screeching Weasel, yeah, kind of like that. But they were called the Queers. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, yeah, I remember... I- I do. In fact, I, I, uh, when I went to go see Misfits yesterday, I, I passed a person in line that had a queer shirt on. And I was like, oh, oh. I haven't thought about them in ages. Well, he shouldn't have had a queer shirt on, and I'll tell you why. Because oh, no. the singer of the queers, Joe Queer, I, and this is, I mean, this is just like, I bought, 
well, I was going to see the Dickies. You remember the Dickies, which they've even had yeah. issues recently. Really? Uh, but they, they were, uh, they did the Killer Clown song. They were like a pretty cool band. But uh, so I was going to see the uh, the Dickies and the Queers were opening for them. And I just went, did a little Google search of the Queers just to see like, because uh, I knew I had an album back when I was a kid. And I was trying to remember like, what band was the Queers? You know, <laughs> like who, was, right, who are yeah. these guys? And so I searched for my Google and I find that the singer has been uh, on, um, and he had an interview on Noisy Magazine where he had been speaking out about Black Lives Matter and how they are a uh, terrorist organization and they wow. are making uh, you know police sound like villains when really the police are uh, killing people that they're supposed to kill. I mean, he had this whole fucking like you know per, like view about this stuff that was just wrong it just it's just like no man no and, and why are you even talking about this you're the singer of a band called the queers you're the, you're, you're just like some punk guy like but yeah so there it was I, i'm going to a show and by bad chance i did a google search before i went to the show and i had to find out that the band i was going to see is uh full of shit what, what was this misfits show in kind of a big stadium it's a, uh, I think it's tradition like a soccer stadium, like a, you know, like a local, but it was pretty big. I mean, it's, yeah, sizable. It's full too. Um, it was uh, the Cro-Mags opened up. The Cro-Mags. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> and then the, 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 the distillers, which were fantastic. They, yeah, they are not so a bad sick, band. Man. Yeah, not, not really no, they're, style, they're great. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, and followed by the U2 of punk rock rise against. Oh, you know, Rise Against, those guys, uh, some of them are from around here, from around Austin, and uh, yeah, they're talented cool. guys, they really are. I, yeah, I liked them better when they were, like, better and caught thrice. Oh, okay, if you if you want to see something cool, though, some of the members of Rise Against have a band called Dracula's. Okay. Check that out. You're going to love it. Cool. You went to, like, a horror convention, something like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, just getting off of the, the talking about about you know disappointing punk rock leading figures and their creative endeavors um i went to the i like scary movies it's like a interactive installation today which was really super cool it's like a several sets from films that you're familiar with uh, it uh, beetlejuice the lost boys uh, for nightmare on elm street and you can go to these sort of art exhibits and you can do selfies and you take photos of it and it's like a a, 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 a nice mixture between like sets that you can be a part of and take photos with and then just just really cool artistic installations yeah. um, the shining one was particularly like creepy and cool well i i saw the one thing i saw that uh cause you posted some photos on facebook and i i had a right. had a look at some of these things and one of the things i saw was a um kind of like a little uh to-go box uh like you would get from a chinese restaurant with rice in it yeah uh, or uh, noodles. it was not rice sir uh, noodles yeah but it had like maggots instead and it was like but the thing was like six feet tall. It looked like gigantic. What, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. Uh, no, which it was, uh, um, know, throwback to the uh, famous scene from the Lost Boys. Uh, like, how do you like your noodles? That's right. They're, they're maggots. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of right. cool. Well, it's the, uh, they were worms. They were worms for the noodles and they were maggots for the rice. But yes. Delicious. Uh, the, 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 yeah, it, was, it was tasty. Would you, as a vegan, would you eat that? Uh, the noodles or the worms? <laughs> the worms. <laughs> uh, not the worms. No, 
no. So no, look, the noodles. Yes, like I know, I know that it's not vegan, sweet, anything that um, you know, kind of moves and is sentient. But like, if we were as a society to just sort of like convert to a uh, no longer eating cows, or eating cicadas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would you would you be down with that? Um, no, I thought about. I put a lot of thought to this actually. Um, a lot of a lot of long nights where I've asked myself that that exact question, and what I decided was I would not eat the cicadas, um, but instead I would eat aging racist punk rockers. <laughs> for you have a little little Johnny Rotten Burger, uh, a little uh, you know Morrissey uh, tacos. Yeah, sure. I would. Uh, I, I call them anarchy burgers. <laughs> oh wow. You've been listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the F-Stop Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.